good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that everybody's here today. Happy uh, 4th of July, everybody. Wow. Coffee truck. The coffee trailer has been missing, hasn't it? So you're like, where's that coffee? Happy 4th of July, everybody. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, and looking forward to the barbecue. If you didn't sign up for the barbecue, we plan for you, all right? So uh, we want you to come. It's going to be great out there. Uh, and in here, Ben's going to be doing some worship music and some regular music with his group. Um, um, or Yeah, so you're going you're gonna to be entertained and you're going to have a good time. So hopefully you'll stay for that. You know, I was, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine and uh, was reflecting on the changes that have been happening in Afghanistan with uh, the U.S. military being withdrawn and reading some of those stories and how messy that is and, um, and leaving a lot of people in a state of flux. And I was reflecting on the, the culture of tribalism within uh, pretty much everywhere in the world. Um, I've done a lot of work in Africa, there um, in the Middle East, those who are there, you know, you have to understand tribalism to understand what's going on. And one of the things I reflected on is, is that, you know, there's no greater force of division than tribalism. And the United States, that's where we're at. <laughs> but there is a greater force than tribalism in the world, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, as we come and we celebrate the 4th of July, we have so much to celebrate. We have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to be thankful for. And I think as well, though, that those who can celebrate the greatest also can grieve the most because we see, we see what's missing. We see what, um, what's lacking. We see the, also the injustices and the brokenness of our nation as well that's a part of our history. And we want what is God's best. And I was reflecting on um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul writes this. He says, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Our hostility towards one another was put to death. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel that our nation needs, that I hope that we will pray for, and that we will be people who work for, because there is a greater power, and it's Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the amazing privilege of being able to live here in the United States of America, for a rich history of righteousness a rich history of seeking to be righteousness in um, to one another and to the world. But also we recognize that there is a lot of brokenness in the past and in the present. And Lord, we need the power of the gospel. We need you, Jesus, to come and to bind our hearts together to make us one new people under you. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to um, be those people of peace in the world, to be your kingdom people, to be your kingdom-minded um, followers of you that will bring life and hope and love and peace into a broken world. Lord, thank you for the privilege. 
of being able to be a part of that in this place, in this time. Help us to rise and to be your people in the world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We have been in a uh, teaching series called With, and it's a teaching series that's uh, been based off of a um, had sort of its roots in a book called With um, by Sky Jathani. Um, and we're continuing that series today. And I want to introduce maybe a, a new term to you and um, a new phrase, okay? And it's called Sparkle Farkle, all right? So just turn to you, the person next to you and say, Sparkle Farkle. And you know, you can't help but smile when you say sparkle, farkle, except Pam doesn't really like the sparkle, farkle thing. I'm not sure there, but I have to work on her on that. So now I was introduced to, to the phrase sparkle, farkle from my son, Keenan, who worked at Rock and Water Camp. And sparkle, farkle simply means this. It's like, okay, what's your sparkle, farkle? What's your sparkle? What's, the, what's your happy, you know, what's the good of the day? So turn, turn again to somebody close by and say, you know, my sparkle was what? My sparkle was, oh, see, because you're here. To each other, talk to, don't look at me. Do you have a sparkle? Now turn to somebody and say, what's your farkle? Okay. Happy crappy, right? Okay, you guys are doing good. So, so here's, here, let me share a little sparkle farkle with you, okay? So um, Pam and I had the chance to get away, and we went to Maui. Um, so on the first day of Maui, I mean, what do you think my sparkle was? I'm in Maui, right? I mean, you know, I'm in Hawaii. And so, and we were staying at this vacation rental by owner place, and it was just awesome. And uh, it was on an 11-acre hobby farm, an haiku area. It was um, just, you know, nobody around. We were in this little place. And then outside of the, the place that we were renting, there were three palm trees perfectly situated for a hammock. And at the last second, I'd thrown in my hammock, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. So we're, you know, we get to, we get to Maui, we're on this beautiful island, I put up my, you know, I put up the hammock, and, um, and I can't wait to just lay in the hammock. Now, I've had this hammock for a few years, I've taken it backpacking up the desolation wilderness, you know, you know, laying out by lakes, just, you know, the dogs in there as well. So I get into the hammock, I, you know, I open it up, and, and I'm tall, so I don't do down there, because I have to crawl down there. I mean, it's like up here. And I, and I get into the hammock, and I, I lay back, and all of a sudden, I'm on the ground. Because the hammock ripped in two, like from here to here. And, and I landed on my back, and it just went all the way up my spine, just like, you know, my neck. And I just rolled over on my stomach and laid there. And I found my farkle. <laughs> because that, you know, that which I had such high expectation had let me down. So I bought a new hammock. 
because I was like, I'm still getting in the hammock. And I found an adventure store and got a new hammock. We've been in this, this series, I said, called With. It's reimagining the way that we relate to God. In the beginning of the series, we talked about that there's these different ways that we can relate to God. They're, the Sky Justani calls them postures. And one of those is that we relate to God of life under God, where we control God by securing blessings through being religious or being really moral. So we have a strong moral code, we, we live a good life, and we believe that God owes us. And that's how we relate to God. Or there's life over God, and we live life over God by controlling, by following natural laws and principles. We figure out the way that the world works, we figure out the way spiritual things work, we look for the principles in the Bible, we look for the principles in the world, and then we live our life by those principles, and therefore God will always come through in the way that we expect. And then there's life from God, where what we believe is, is that because you know, we're the, you know, the beloved of God, then God blesses us, and so what we do is we get as much blessing as we can, we get as much things as we can in our life, wealth, health, you know, popularity, um, become the social media you know, influencer of the world, and because we have all of that, we don't need anything, and therefore we don't need God. So we control God in that way. And then the last one is, is that life for God and is that we control God by serving God so that he owes us blessing and protection. You know, we, we do good things. We pray a lot. We read the Bible. We do all of these spiritual practices. And because we do those, God owes us. Now, here's part of the problem with all of those four postures, is, is that we can find evidence of those things in Scripture. You know, are there principles about how to live your life in, in Scripture? Absolutely. Are there promises of blessing, you know, that God gives? Is that, will He provide for us? Absolutely. Is it good to read the Bible? Is it good to pray? Is it good to uh, be in, you know, community with other people? Absolutely. But when we have our life and our faith based upon that, then what we're ultimately doing is, is what Sky Jathani talks about is, is that when danger comes, we have fear, and what fear causes us to do is to try to control our world and try to control God. And those are the four ways that we do it. So do we live in fear and, and control in this circle that keeps going around of there's danger and so I'm fearful and so I need to control and there's danger, I'm fearful, I need to control? Or is there another way? And, and Scripture tells us absolutely there's another way. It's called faith. Sky Jathani in his book, uh, with, he says, control is an illusion, but what is the alternative? How can we be set free from fear apart from our feeble attempts at control? Now, if you have your Bible, I want uh, invite you to open it up, okay? Um, either, you know, your electronic Bible on your phone or tablet or something like that, or if you brought one of those old school um, things, paper things, um, then open it up to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And chapter 11 is the beginning of a 
sort of this section that talks about faith. And it gives some definition of, to it, and then he gives all these examples of what faith looked like in specific individuals and general people who were following Jesus in the time of the writing of it. And at the very beginning of, of chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the ESV says. It's the conviction of things not seen. So he gives us a really you know, succinct view and understanding of what faith is. A story that Sky Jathani tells is about, um, in the book is about a man by the name of Henry Nowen and an experience that he had which opened his eyes up to a new understanding of faith. And Henry Nowen is a Dutch priest, um, professor, author, and uh, who has since passed, one of the, the, the deep thinkers of the faith. I love reading Henry Nowen's books that he has written. It always invites me into a deeper experience of, of God and of Jesus and of faith. And, and Henry Nowen tells a story about going um, to see some trapeze artists. Um, they're, they're the flying roadlays from South Africa. And he went to, to see them just sort of on a whim. And, and so you know the trapeze artist thing, right? I mean, that there's um, you know, people you know, swinging way high up in the air. And there is really two people that are involved in this. I mean, there's a lot more supporting. But when things are going on, there's, there's the, the flyer. That's the person um, who is flying through the air, doing flips and going all kinds of places. And then there is the catcher, right? The, the catcher is the one who is hanging upside down from a bar, swinging back and forth, and their job is to catch the flyer. And obviously, it's all about the timing. And as Henry Nowen was watching the great, uh, the flying roadways, um, he came to understand that the flyer, who seems to be the star of the show because they're doing all these acrobatic things, right? That they're actually not the star of the show. The catcher is the star. Everything depends on the catcher, right? Because if the catcher doesn't catch the flyer, it's not going to be pretty. And here we now and says, I can only fly freely when I know there is a catcher to catch me. Right? The confidence of the flyer in the catcher gives them the freedom to be able to do the things that they do. And then Henry Nowen continues and reflects. He says, if we are to take risks to be free in the air, in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. 
The writer of Hebrews again says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you think about that from a you know, trapeze artist, you think about that from a flyer's perspective as they are flipping backwards, upside down, with not seeing the catcher until the catcher catches them. It sort of can hit you a little bit right there in the, in the gut. So if we go back and, we, and we, we take seriously what the writer of Hebrews says, if we say, okay, this is God's word, this is God's truth to us, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, what do you hope for in your life? What do you have any conviction in your life beyond what you can see? Is there anything that you're living for? Is there anything that is greater than what you are able to control of the safety that you can create for yourself? Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, I really think that there's two kinds of faith or two aspects of faith. There's one kind of faith is this, is, is what I call is confessional faith. It, it's, it's the things that we say, right? And, and we exercise, you know, confessional faith um, and, you know, sort of pretty much all, all the time in our life where in our relationships with others is that we, we say, hey, I trust you. But within the biblical terms, there's a confessional faith of of how we relate to Jesus that's important. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you believe in your heart... If you confess in your, with your mouth, another version says, if you confess with your mouth, there's a confessional faith that, that we have to come to grips with at some point in our life. Is that do we, do we confess to the world? Do we say that Jesus, you are Lord? Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you are the catcher. Jesus, you are the one in whom I trust. That I trust you, Jesus, more than I trust me. <laughs> if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Confessional faith. Now, I don't know about you, where you are in your life, but if you have never confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart, then that puts you on a different side of eternity. That puts you on a, on, on a different side of a gap between where God is and where you are. And that the, the bridge across that gap 
begins with confessional faith. In order to have confessional faith, you have to have humility. You have to come to grips with the reality and the fact that you don't control the world. You don't control the universe. You don't control anything. And, and as a self-avowed control freak, which, by the way, particularly all people who work in ministry are, um, as a self-avowed control freak, that is not an easy place to get to. And it oftentimes is very frightening. But Jesus says, come. Humble yourself. Confessional faith. Now, but, but here's a little bit of the problem, is, is that there can be people who have confessional faith, says, yeah, I believe in Jesus as Lord, I've confessed with the mouth, I'll tell anybody, you know, Jesus is who Jesus is, I'll stand for Jesus, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, you know, they're, they're just like, you know, talking all the time. But there's another aspect, and the other aspect of this is what I call experiential faith. Sky Jathani in his book with, he says, it is the experiential knowledge of God's love, his unyielding goodness toward us that delivers us from fear and gives us the courage to surrender to him. It is the experiential knowledge of God's love. Now, if you read in other places in the Bible, it seems like it contradicts things, particularly James. James, James sort of uh, kicks your rear, right? James is a wisdom book, New Testament wisdom book, and he just uh, doesn't pull any punches, and he really addresses this idea of experiential faith. In James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And what James is doing here is, is that he's reminding us that the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God, comes through the experience of God. Here's what I find within my own life, and, and I found this within my own journey, but in observation of what I have seen, particularly of people who wander or step away from Jesus, is, is that they have lived their lives or they're living their lives where they control everything and that there's no need to control Jesus, because, to, to trust Jesus because they've got it under control. And it's really those postures it's about who is controlled. That, that, that Jesus gets boring, God is boring, because I really don't need you. And if you think about any relationship, if you think about, if you build your relationship such that you are completely self-contained, that you don't need the other person in the relationship, it's going to get boring. A marriage, family, Workplace, 
James continues in uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 17 through 19. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Now, I mean, that's a pretty deep insight. Is what, what James is saying is that, listen, <laughs> demons have confessional faith. It doesn't save them because they're in rebellion against Jesus. But, but they know who Jesus is. They acknowledge who Jesus is. Experiencing Jesus as in a life of faith, experiential faith, is the difference. Faith, let me put it this way, is getting in the arena. I had a friend of mine send me this quote, and I've heard it before, and actually a few times recently, and it's, um, because the last, uh, uh, very, very frankly, honestly, the last few months have been really, really hard. We've had um, family issues um, with foster kids that have not worked and have come completely to the end of myself. And it's been extraordinarily painful and extraordinarily difficult without any clear answers. I don't know, has anybody ever been in that place in your life? <laughs> Somebody sent me this. It's uh, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, April 23rd, 1910. And so he left the office, his office, uh, Roosevelt left the presidential office in 1909, and he stopped in Paris in, on April 23rd of that year. And in uh, at 3 p.m., he addressed a crowd and Roosevelt delivered a speech that was called um, Citizenship in a Republic. But most people um, recognize it as the man in the arena because of a particular quote or part of it. And what Roosevelt did in this speech is he railed against uh, critics and cynics who looked down on other people who were trying to make um, the world a better place. And here's one of the things he said. He said, the poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer. A cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize work which the critic himself never tries to perform. An intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities. All of these are marks not of superiority but of weakness. And we, you know what? We live in a world where people face life with a sneer. This is the culture that we're living in. Where if you, you know, it's the, it's the I call it the whale principle of leadership. He who rises up and spouts off gets harpooned. You know what? If you say anything, and it's, it's true, right, left, political, you know, liberal, conservative, it's, it's all over the place. Everybody's treating each other the same way. And then um, Roosevelt says this. 
It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You know, it's really easy to stand on the sidelines and to live life with a sneer. And to complain and to whine and to um, judge and to tear down anybody and everybody around us. And Roosevelt makes this great point. It's like, it's, faith is being in the arena And, and we have this expectation of Jesus, we have this expectation of God that God is going to perform in a certain way. All of us carry those things. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You know, our mission here at Cold Springs Church is that we're passionate about raising up compassionate followers of Jesus Christ to be risk takers for God to be risk takers for God. And, and you know, it, it's this invitation, it's this understanding that as, as following Jesus, if, if we're going to experience the life of Jesus, then we have to quit playing it safe. You know, we live in the backyard of risk taking and in the neighborhood of risk takers. Did you know that? Somebody going by. We live in the backyard of risk-taking and in the neighborhood of risk-takers. I, I mean, you can, you, you, you can go a very short amount of distance, and there's a bunch of people who are hanging from cliffs trusting a rope and an anchor in a rock wall. There, those who are you know, 15 minutes away, particularly today, are sitting in this inflatable raft going down Troublemaker, trusting that it's actually going to hold the air and that they're going to get on the other side of Troublemaker. We trust two small wheels on a bike or a motorcycle going 20 to 70 or whatever miles an hour. We live in the backyard risk-taking in the neighborhood of risk-takers. But are we doing that in our life with Jesus? Are we in the arena? I'm reminded of a quote um, from C.S. Lewis and his Chronicles of Narnia books in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's this conversation about Aslan, and Aslan is the, is the representation of God. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? 
I still felt rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We worship the God who is not safe. We worship the God who is, doesn't meet our expectation because he won't fit into our box because God doesn't fit in anyone's box. We worship the God who is not safe, but he is good. He is with us. He is with you. Even when things don't turn out the way that you expect it, he is with you. That is who God is. That is his promise. G.K. Chesterton said this in his uh, What's Wrong with the World. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. <laughs> it, you know, we can look at this thing of faith and go, man, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, I think I, I can find a safer way to live than that whole faith thing. I'll say it, but I'm not sure that I'm going to go down that path and live it. Let's be honest. There are things in our life where we feel like Jesus has left, let us down. Faith didn't work. I think if you've, if you've honestly, sincerely walked with Jesus, walked with God through time, you have to have come to this conclusion that there are things that have happened and you're like, God, where are you? What was that about? What is this about? And it's almost always come through a person. It could be a failed marriage. It could be a failed spouse. It could be failed kids. It could be failed parents. It could be failed friends. A failed opportunity. It's like, what was that? What's, what's this about? The hammock ripped. Man, I've gotten in the hammock so many times. The hammock ripped. Bam, you are on the ground. So are you willing to be really honest? Which approach were you living? Were you living the life under God where you know, you're going to control God by securing his blessings through being really religious? Or life over God? You live by the principles. You raised up your kids in the way of God. You know, why aren't they following? Life from God? You know, you have all this wealth. You, you invested in Bitcoin early on, man. You, you're, you're set. You got it. What? Dropped by 50%. Things change? Or life for God? You've served him. You've extended yourself. You've given sacrificially. The invitation that God gives us is to have a faith that's alive. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus' last, some of his last words to his disciples, called the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these things, these new disciples, to obey all the commandments that I have given to you. And be sure of this. I am with you always. 
Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church, laying his life down for her. That's an act of faith. Parents, draw closer to your kids. Enter their world, even if it's extraordinarily confusing. And you might even have to pick up a gaming console. Exercise your thumbs. That's an act of faith. Wife, stop resenting your husband's flaws and start respecting his strengths. That can be an act of faith. Faith alive. Wife or um, bosses, sacrificially love and serve those under you so that they have the chance to reach their full potential. How are you there to serve them, not them to serve you? Workers, do your work for that jerk of a boss <laughs> or that jerk of an organization like they're Jesus themselves so that you do everything with joy and excellence. Church, church us. Step closer to the broken, to the mentally ill, the hurting, the notorious sinners amongst us to be the extraordinarily imperfect hands, feet, voice, and love of Jesus in the world. And be sure of this. I am with you, always, to the end of the age. Control is, is an illusion, Sky reminds us. But what is the alternative? How do we, can we be set free from fear apart from our feeble attempts at control? And it is impossible to please God. The writer of Hebrews continues in, in verse 7, verse, verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God is the reward. God is the reward. Jesus is the proof. And the resurrection that piece of bread that we ate, the body of Jesus broken for us, that cup of juice that we drank representing Jesus' blood shed for us, of this future promise that this life, this world, <laughs> this experience that you are in right now, it isn't everything. In fact, it's a very short part of all of eternity that there is something more, and we have that promise, the resurrection is the promise. God is the reward. Jesus is the proof. The resurrection is the promise. He is faithful. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're experiencing right now, He is faithful. I want to close in prayer, but I would be remiss if I did not give you the opportunity to confess Jesus. To humble yourself, and maybe for the very first time, is to accept who you are, that you are a sinner broken in need of a Savior. Believe in who Jesus is, that He is the Savior of the world, and choose to commit to follow Jesus, to believe in Him. And I'm just going to lead a prayer. It's a simple prayer. The words aren't magic. It's your heart before God that will lead you in that. If you today want to say yes to Jesus and to confess him and begin a life with God, would you pray with me?
If you want to receive Jesus, say yes to Jesus, say a prayer like this. Jesus, this morning, I'm, I'm going to humble myself and I accept that yes, I am broken, that I am a sinner in need of your grace and your forgiveness. And even though I don't understand all of it, I do confess I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you lived and that you died on a cross and that you are resurrected from the dead. And I believe that through faith in you, I will be saved. And right now, I choose to commit to follow you. In, in my imperfect understanding of that, I will follow you as you lead. Jesus, lead me. Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would once again live and reflect that prayer that we would have the confessional faith that would lead to the experiential knowledge of you, the experiential life of beginning to walk with you. Jesus, thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.